Today we're tackling a slightly more advanced topic, oxygen-free transfer. And what does that mean? That's basically transferring your beer from your fermenter to your keg without letting it come into contact with oxygen. You're listening to The Backyard Brewer, a podcast for brewers and beginners. Brewing better beer. When we're transferring our beer, we want it to come into as little contact as possible with oxygen. And the reason for that is that oxygen, as the name suggests, is an oxidizer. An oxidized beer comes off with off flavors. The best way I've heard it described is that it tastes like a wet dog smells, and that can be very true. It can also have some other smells as well, like wet cardboard or wet cement. Now, why should we use kegs? For one thing, they're easier to clean. They're easier to fill, easier to control the quality and the serving, and you save time, space, and ultimately money. It's quicker to carbonate your beer because you can quick carb a beer in a keg in as little as a day, whereas bottle conditioning can take two to three weeks. And the quicker you can carbonate your beer, the quicker you can enjoy it. Bottles, on the other hand, have to be individually cleaned, filled and capped. Then you need to store them while they're carbonated. And like I said, that can take two to three weeks. And I'm just not that patient. You can also do a transfer from an air-locked fermenter, so not a pressurized fermenter. But I'll cover that in another episode. When we're talking about an oxygen-free transfer, we're usually talking about a pressure fermenter. So it's either a fermenter that's been used to pressure ferment the beer, or you have used an airlock with it, but it's possible to completely seal it so you can do an oxygen-free transfer. There are a couple of fermenters that can do this, most notably, and with a good price point, are the Kegland Firmzillas. These fermenters can be used either with an airlock or with a pressure kit that allows you to ferment under pressure. If you use the Firmzilla to ferment with an airlock, you can easily remove the airlock fitting off the cap and replace it with a carb cap that allows you to transfer under pressure. You can transfer from an airlocked fermenter that can't be pressure sealed to a keg, but it's more prone to oxygenation. There are a few things you can do to reduce that, like purging the oxygen from the keg with CO2 to start with. And I'm not going to cover that in this podcast or the YouTube video that goes along with it, but I will do that at some stage. Why do we want to transfer without oxygen coming into contact with the beer? Well, like I said up top, that causes oxidation. And you really don't want those flavors in your beers, especially if you're not drinking your beer in a short period of time like if if you're going to have a keg that sits in your kegerator for a month or two months then the longer it's left in the keg the more oxidized flavors you're going to notice and one of the other advantages of fermenting under pressure is that it creates a cleaner tasting beer and fermenting under pressure can also partially carbonate the beer because that co2 isn't escaping it's actually dissolving into the beer. 
So your beer comes out of the pressure fermenter partially carbonated. And depending on how much pressure you've used to ferment will determine how much carbonation the beer has. If you've got the pressure wound up really high, then you could end up with a beer that can be consumed straight from the fermenter. The equipment that we need is pretty simple. You need a keg, obviously, and you need your fermenter. Now, if you watch the YouTube video that goes along with this, I've actually used one of the Kegland Firmzilla fermenters. And I've got the pressure kit attached to it, and that has a dip tube that runs from one of the posts and attaches to a float and a filter so that I can extract the beer through that dip tube. The other post on the fermenter is used for connecting the CO2 bottle to it and that pushes pressure into the fermenter which pushes the beer up the dip tube out of the fermenter and into the keg. Apart from our, our keg and our fermenter we also need a hose and fittings to connect between the two of them. Now for my setup, I've got a six foot or about 1.8 meter length of beer line. And on each end of that beer line is a duotite fitting and a ball lock connector. Both of those ball lock connectors are the black ones that are used for going to the outpost on the keg. And the reason for that is you want to connect to the outpost on the keg because that outpost has a solid steel dip tube that goes all the way to the bottom of the keg. So as you're filling through that, the beer goes down to the bottom of the keg. It's not falling down and foaming up. So you get a lot less foam when you transfer through that bore lock post. You also need a CO2 tank with the appropriate connectors. Now, the, the line that I use to connect to the CO2 tank for doing uh, this type of transfer has a splitter on it. There are two connectors on there. One is the grey style gas connector and one is the black style liquid connector. And the reason for that is when I'm purging the keg of all the air that's in it, and I'll cover that in a step in a minute, I want to actually go down through that dip tube so that the CO2 goes into the bottom of the keg. The normal grey gas connector is connected up to the other side of the fermenter. Now when you watch the video on YouTube, you'll notice that there's a yellow and a red connector on my fermenter. I use the red connector for beer and the yellow connector for gas and that way I can tell them apart. I used to have stainless connectors on there and I was just unlucky enough a couple of times to not check and use the wrong connector so by color coding them I have a lot less accidents. The other thing that I use with my setup is a bleeding tube and all that is is a gas ball lock connector connected up to a short piece of beer line about 10 centimeters or four inches long. And that's just used to let the gas out of the keg as we're filling it up. Now, in addition to this, you can use a spunding valve to control the flow rate when you're filling, but setting a low pressure on your CO2 tank, say around four to eight PSI, will achieve the same thing. 
So I, I don't see the need for a spunding valve and it just really can complicate things a little bit as well. You could also use a flow stopper and I'll put a link to the flow stopper uh, that you can purchase from Kegland in the notes. But I found them to be unreliable, especially if there's any foaming in the keg. Of course, the foam comes out of the keg first and it tends to just go around the little ball float and not let it seal properly. So quite often you'd end up with a lot of foam coming out of that stopper anyway. And the other problem is if you do have a lot of foam in your keg, then you're not completely filling the keg up and it can take a lot, ex a lot of extra time. I find that the best results I get are just by using that bleed tube that I talked about before and going at a very slow rate of fill. So like I said, around that four to eight PSI for me is ideal. And the rate depends a lot on the carbonation level of the beer. With the beer that I've just done in the video, that was a fairly low carbonation rate. I had the pressure uh, valve on the fermenter set to 0.2 of a bar, which is, is pretty low. I think 1.5 is around 30 PSI. So I had it set to 0.2. So there wasn't a lot of carbonation in the beer, so I could go a little bit faster with that and avoid any foaming. In fact, I think I had it set to around 10 PSI. If I had a heavily carbonated beer, if I was fermenting at, let's say, 1 to 1.3 bar or even 1.5 bar, you would end up with a lot more carbon dioxide in the beer and a lot more opportunity for that beer to foam as, as you're transferring it. So in that case, if I had a highly carbonated beer, I would drop the flow rate right back to 4 PSI and possibly even more. You may even end up with some foaming at 4 PSI and you may have to stop, wait for the beer to settle in, in your keg and then start again. So what are the steps? It's pretty simple really. It's a, a 13 point plan. First of all, as always, you want to clean and sanitize all of your equipment. Make sure that everything's been thoroughly cleaned and then sanitized. The only exception to that would be if you're using a spunding valve. You can't really clean the spunding valve. Or if, you, if it's a spunding valve like the style that I use, a brass one, so the, the blow tie ones you can't really clean because then you've got water in all of your um, sensitive areas inside the valve and that can muck, mess around with, the, um, with the, the pressure gauge. The brass style that I use, you can pull apart, you can take the, the pressure gauge off and you don't have to clean the pressure gauge but you can get everything else on the spunding valve cleaned. Obviously, your keg needs to be thoroughly rinsed, cleaned, and sanitized. That includes pulling all of your poppet valves off, pulling the dip tube out, cleaning the, the lid, pulling your PRV, the PRV valve or pressure relief valve needs to come out as well because you can actually get bits of beer going up into them and it dries and it can either cause the PRV to stick in some circumstances or if there's bacteria or yeast, wild yeast or something like that in it, it can spoil your beer. So 
make sure you clean everything, pull it all apart, get to all the seals, make sure everything is 100% schmicko. The next step is to purge oxygen. So you wanna purge all of that from your keg. And the way you do that, as I said before, is you connect your gas tank, you, you connect your CO2 tank to the outpost on your keg and you set the pressure on your regulator to about five PSI. Then when you hear the pressure equalize, you slowly open the PRV in short bursts. What you don't want is too much turbulence in the tank. So you don't just open the PRV and let it just come flooding out. Of course, you will end up with turbulence and you'll end up with some oxygen being retained in the tank. So just do it slowly. Little short bursts over about a minute or two. You don't have to get every bit of oxygen out of the tank. If you do it nicely, nice and slowly, what you'll end up with is about half a tank with a blanket of CO2 in the bottom. And because CO2 is heavier than air, as you fill the tank up, the air is going to get pushed out of the tank first anyway. As long as you do everything slowly, as long as you do everything methodically, then you're going to get good results. The next step is connecting the out port on your keg to the out port on your fermenter. You connect the gas to the in port on the fermenter and you connect the bleeding tube to the keg. Turn the gas on to between 4 and 10 psi. As I mentioned before, it depends on how heavily carbonated your beer is and the style of beer. And then you should see beer start to flow in the tube that's connecting your keg to the fermenter. Here's a great tip. If the keg is a little warmer than the beer and the ambient temperature is a little warmer as well, what you'll see is the beer filling up because you'll see a line of condensation rising up the side of the keg. Now it will be a little bit behind where the actual beer is because it takes a little while for the condensation to form but you'll have a fairly good idea of how close you are to filling the keg based on that condensation. You don't need to babysit this, so it's gonna take anywhere between five and 10 or 15 minutes, maybe even a little longer. Go off and, and do other things. Just set a reminder on your phone to come back and check it every five minutes or so. And when it's getting close to the top, just hang around because you don't want to leave it go or you're going to waste a, a bit of beer. The other problem is if you go too long, then you might end up sucking up some of the dregs from the fermenter into the beer and your first couple of pours of the beer are going to be a bit cloudy with that yeast and, and trube in it. When, you, when the keg's full or the fermenter is empty or getting down towards that trube level, disconnect the bleeding tube first to stop the process. If you take the gas off the fermenter, there'll still be pressure in the fermenter and it will still push through into the keg. Taking the dip tube off just stops everything straight away. Then you can turn the gas off and disconnect it from the fermenter. Disconnect the transfer line from the keg and fermenter and put the keg into your kegerator and finish carbonating it if you need to. So I hope you've got something out of this episode. If you're starting to get into the hobby and finding it more and more enticing 
And let's face it, who doesn't enjoy paying less for beer, especially when it comes out quality? But you're not sure what steps to take next? Then reach out. You can go over to our website at backyardbrewer.com.au and use the contact us form. If you've got any questions, if you'd like to know what your next step should be or you just want some advice, then reach out. We're more than happy to help. Likewise, you can drop a question or a comment into Facebook or YouTube and we'll get back to you there as well. We hope you've enjoyed this and you've got something out of it. And if you do feel that there's something here for you, Subscribe to the podcast so that you're informed when new episodes drop. And check us out on our social media links as well. That's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and of course, YouTube. From the sunny hills north of Bris Vegas, you've been listening to The Backyard Brewer.